Last time on Licensed to Parent. You know what? I'm, I'm glad you live next to me. I'm glad that we could become friends. But could I just see you as Lisa the person? I don't want you to judge me as Glenn the Christian or Glenn the researcher. Um, you know what? How about if we just interact with each other based on our own humanity, who we are. And so let me value you for you rather than you for one aspect of you. That's Glenn Stanton of Focus on the Family. And today, part two of our conversation, teaching our kids how to navigate an ungodly world through a genuinely godly way. This is Licensed to Parent. And welcome back to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for troubled teens founded and directed by our host, Trace Embry. And I'm Rich Rosel. And last time on our program, we began a conversation with Glenn Stanton. Now, he's the director of Global Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family, with emphasis on gender, sexuality, marriage, and parenting. He also served under former President George W. Bush as a consultant on increasing fatherhood involvement as part of the Head Start program. He's author of the book, Loving My LGBT Neighbor, Being Friends in Grace and Truth, and that is the topic at hand. So, Glenn, thanks so much for joining us for week number two of our conversation on Licensed to Parent. We appreciate your being here. You bet. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. Well, Glenn, uh, picking up from where we left off, um, uh, homosexual practices used to be illegal in America uh, until recently in most states. Uh, Do you see our nation ever accepting or legalizing what we now call pedophilia? The difference in that would be, I I think, in the popular culture today is um, if it's two consenting adults and they're both okay with it. But that's just the Um, thing, though. That's just the thing. Consenting adults. Adults uh, is is given a definition by the state. And if I'm hearing a lot of talk about lowering the age of consent. And right now I think it's, I don't know, 16 or 18. I, I should know it might be different in different states. But... If it's going down, and I think Canada might be 14 or Mexico, one of the two, 14 years old. And I, I have a great, great aunt who was a grandmother at 26 years old in the hills of Kentucky. Uh, you know, 13 and 13, do the math, 26 years old. So I'm just wondering, man, is it possible that we could be heading this direction? Well, it could be, most certainly, because, I mean, it's, it's you know, almost just a crime to say no to any kind of, of, you know, sexual relationship that anybody wants to have. Right. And that is concerning. And you're exactly right. Age of consent um, is a relative thing. And most of the movement in that is to lower it rather than increase it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's, there's certain words that if you're accused of today, uh, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your reputation, being called a racist or a bigot or discriminatory. Would it be discriminatory or or wrong at all if we just so happen to move next door to a pedophile or LGBT neighbor? Let's say they have a 16-year-old daughter. She's openly gay, has openly gay friends at her house. Uh, 
you need a babysitter for your kids. Are you going to let that uh, 16-year-old babysit any of your children? Because I think parents are afraid uh, to make uh, a, a wrong or a perceived bigoted decision in that. So I'm, I'm just I'm deferring to you for, for an answer. Well, well, yeah, to refuse to do that is not bigoted, not bigoted in the least. But it is important for us to talk to our kids very clearly about the morality of sexuality. Um, when my kids were growing up, we had a lesbian couple across the street, and how we handled that was um, Janet and Susan, you know what? They live across the street. Um, we want to love them and care for them. Um, they live together. We don't think that's right. They have an intimate relationship together. We don't think that's right. God has you know, laid out a plan, and that is for man and woman married. Um, that's God's ideal. And there's lots of people who fall outside that idea. And, yeah. But that doesn't mean we care for them any less. And so you, you, and this is what we talked about last time, you love the individual, you care for the individual, you treat the individual with dignity, but you can't approve of the thing itself. You have to stand on just absolute truth sure. there. But to refuse to do that is not bigoted, not bigoted in the least. And that is one of the things that I just have no patience for whatsoever mm -hmm. is that accusation. Yeah, you and I know um, that. You and I know that. Yeah. We've got a whole world who, who thinks differently, uh, much of the world. And uh, that's well, where we it, have to make a decision. Yeah, it's our responsibility to stand up to that and say, listen, do not start calling me names. Do not start making accusations about me that you have no idea how I feel about you. And just because I can't sign on to your sexuality doesn't mean I'm a bigot, doesn't mean I'm hateful. Thank and you. I think that you saying that is, and this is exactly what I say, I think you saying that is absolutely vile and I have no patience for mm -hmm. it. So basically you're telling parents, you need to stand up for yourself because I'm seeing Christians Absolutely. roll over all the time. And I'm talking about Christian leaders, pastors. I, I want to jump in real quick, though, just about the, the question of would we allow this particular neighbor to babysit our kids? I think as Christian parents, we need to evaluate every babysitter. And, of course. And I would want to have... But for different a, reasons. Yes, but one of the things is I would want to have a babysitter that shares my Christian worldview. Absolutely. To the best of his or her ability. Yeah. Um, if someone's watching my kids, I kind of want to know where they stand across the board. And that may be you're out because none of my kids will allow my grandkids to be babysat by anybody who, who doesn't hold to a strict biblical worldview and they don't know very well. Now, I, I would add to that, though, there may come that time when an emergency arises in your situation and you need the neighbor's help. Mm -hmm. Therefore, maintaining a great relationship with that neighbor is paramount, too, because that neighbor may have to keep an eye on, on your family for a while while you take Junior to the emergency room or whatever. And but, I'd be willing to watch their kids if they had them. Well, exactly. So I, you know, I, th I think uh, there's more to that question than you might think. Absolutely. Well, this is a thorny issue. I mean, there's, more, there's always more questions to these issues. Uh, right. That's why we're doing the program. <laughs> Glenn, I, I want to jump to a related part of Trace's question with this, though, and that is when we have a family member, a, a relative who may be part of the LGBTQ uh, community, that creates a whole different set of conversations that have to take place because you're likely spending time with this uncle or aunt or cousin or brother or sister or whomever 
at, at family holidays and, and, and things like that. How do we best love that person and teach our kids to love that person in the right way without condoning things that we don't want to condone? Yeah, and, and I mean, in a sense, it's really just that simple. We just love them. Um, and we love them as people. And, you know, in, in my book, Loving My LGBT Neighbor, you know, I talk about, you know, Uncle Jack. He owns a, a, a chain of liquor stores, you know. Um, we don't approve of that. We don't think that's good. We don't think it's good for the community. But, you know, he comes over for Thanksgiving dinner. And how do you deal with that? Um, you know, you have had that conversation with your kids and that you, you know, don't approve of that. You have different views. And you know what? Um, probably not a good idea just to bring that up here and there. But if they ask you, um, you know what? Tell them, tell them what you think. Be kind about it. Be nice about it. Same thing if, you know, you have a son or a daughter who's cohabiting with somebody. Um, you know, you don't approve of that. If they ask you, you'll tell them. But the thing is, is for the individual, and we have focus on the family. I mean, we're very clear about that. When parents call and said, say, oh my goodness, my, my son or my daughter just came out. The first thing that we say is keep that relationship, do whatever you can do uh, realistically to keep that relationship. And like we say to our kids, there is nothing that you can do that would make me love you any less. And to remind our kids of that. Now, it doesn't mean that we give a green light to anything, but no, you're my child and nothing is going to change that. And we'll have to work out this thing and come to terms with it. And you know what? I'm probably not going to be able to agree with you on this, but nothing, nothing, nothing changes the fact that you're my son, you're my daughter, um, you're my uncle, you know, you're my parent, whatever, and that I love you with all my heart. Well, there's a passage of scripture, I believe it's Matthew 18, that Jesus says that we're to treat the guy who calls himself a brother in the Lord, uh, who sins against us, uh, knowingly, uh, you bring him before the church and you, where you go to by yourself and you bring him someone else and then before the church. If he doesn't get it, you treat him like a pagan. How does that scripture apply to what we've just been talking about here? Well, I think it's the issue there of what I call theological revisionists. Like, you know, people like we talked about last time, well, Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality and he's just great about it. And especially if this person is a teacher, a leader, you know, they're leading others astray. You know what? You, it's, it's one thing for you to live that way and, you know, people have the right to do wrong things. But when you put yourself as a part of the body of Christ and you are intentionally steering people in the wrong direction, you know what? There is no patience for that whatsoever. There is no tolerance for that whatsoever. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's where you just have to absolutely exclude somebody like that from your life. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think that's true. Uh, I was just having a, a dialogue with someone the other night about uh, the difference between someone who, say, has lived a promiscuous lifestyle, repents, falls back, but knows that it's wrong and tries to straighten out. He's just really in a, in a struggle. She's in a struggle. There, there seems to be some kind of difference between that and someone who's cohabitating or maybe in a 
homosexual relationship where you go to bed and you wake up every day knowing that you're living in rebellion and you don't have any repentance in the equation. There seems to be something different about that than the person like yeah, King and David. Yeah, trying to put a good face on it. And that's, you know, Jesus said, and the disciples asked, how many times should we forgive somebody? But no, I mean, in terms of somebody trying to say upside down is, is right side up, no, you can't um, have any patience for that. They, that's not a forgivable kind of thing because they're trying to change what truth is. But isn't that kind of what the unpardonable sin is? The guy that just digs his heels in and rebels and says, I'm going to sin against God. I don't care what he, who he is, what he says. But forgiveness, I think, you know, someone can molest my child. Someone can kill a family member. And I still think that I'm obligated to forgive. But forgiveness doesn't always mean restoration. So if, if you're babysitting my kid and you molest them, I can forgive you for that. But you'll never be restored as a babysitter to my kid. Now, we can reconcile. God and sinners exactly. reconciled, right? So we can reconcile. And we, and even if that reconciliation means you go your way, I go my way, but I'm not, I'm not going to come back and kill you or retaliate or, or molest your children. Right. So right, yeah, right. Okay. No, and that's exactly right. Those are two different things. Forgiveness doesn't mean, you know, it all goes away necessarily. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I need to jump in here because we need to take a break on behalf of our stations, but we're talking today with Glenn Stanton, the director of Global Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family and author of the book we're talking about, Loving My LGBT Neighbor, Being Friends in Grace and Truth. You can find that as well as his latest book, The Myth of the Dying Church, uh, on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And by the way, this is part two of a conversation that began on last week's program. If you missed that, we invite you to go to our website, licensedtoparent.org, and there you can hear that program and all of our past programs. Again, licensedtoparent.org. And we'll be right back. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by TroubledTeen.org. Is your teen's behavior dangerous? Your child's behavior may seem incredibly volatile during the teenage years. Sometimes the signs and symptoms come and go quickly as your child is growing, but other times behaviors are developed and nurtured that will lead to unhealthy choices. Here are a few items to consider. 
Does your teen refuse to abide by anything you say or request? Is your teen displaying behavior that's a marked change from what has been normal? Has your teen become increasingly disrespectful, dishonest, and disobedient, and openly rebellious? Go to HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and take the quiz, Is My Teen Troubled? While some behavioral issues are minor and best resolved at home, there are warning signs that your teen may need a more structured approach to get them on a healthy, constructive path. And Shepherd's Hill Academy is here to help. Visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and click on Is My Teen Troubled? Help My Troubled Teen. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent, Glenn Stanton from Focus on the Family, and we're talking about his book, Loving My LGBT Neighbor, Being Friends in Grace and Truth. That book is available on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Glenn, I want to ask you, are there any conditions where a parent should allow their children to attend a gay wedding? That is a big, big question. And, you know, this is something that we that no society has ever faced before. I mean, yeah. in the history of mankind, it's this is only a thing happening in the last couple of milliseconds of human history. Yeah, tell something. And I would say this, and I address this in the book, that um, first of all, for People who have the conviction that, no, I cannot attend a same-sex wedding, I would not allow my children to do that, that is the right answer. But then the, the bigger thing is, um, you know, it depends on who the individual is in terms of your consideration. Okay, so if it's frank in accounting at work, you know what, probably wouldn't go, you know, I'm just not going to do this. If it's your child, um, that is a different matter. And I'm not saying that you would go, but it's just a different sort of, of consideration there. And you have to make that decision. Um, I, I think it comes out of you can't go celebrate the wedding. Um, you can't celebrate the marriage. But to, you know, if, if somebody decides, I want to be there to keep the relationship with my child, um, that's a legitimate thing if, if, you know, that's where you're coming from. So it is a very complex issue. There's, there's not an answer necessarily in the back of the book, um, but, you know, I would say pray about it, think about it, ask spiritual folks around you um, what they think, and have them think about the validity of, of your rationales for either um, not going or, you know, deciding to go. Yeah. I'm not quite sure I understand what it matters if it's your child or not. I know you talked about the relationship, but we would be celebrating something that in the eyes of God would be absolutely abominable. And I don't know that that is, uh, the fact that it's our child really matters because the relationship has already been soured by the fact that they would do something like that. Uh, not going, and, and you can still, you know, tell them you love them and, and, you know, help them whatever they need help with. But to go to that celebration, to me, and again, because I think you've left this open to, to a matter of opinion and conviction, my conviction would be I, I, there's no way in the world that I could do that. Uh, what I would consider is just telling my son or daughter, uh, you know, uh, I'll see you after the wedding. Maybe we can have dinner and talk about it. Uh, but uh, I, I can't participate in that. I, I think you know, if, if your relationship has been 
healthy before that, I, I don't think that would be a deal breaker. But again, it, it may be. No, and I, I completely agree. I mean, that's a very, very good point. In the book, I talk about, you know, in terms of uh, such a wedding that I would never go to would be if it's held under the auspices of the church. Even, you know, if well, it's a too. super, super liberal clergy member. But if he's holding a book that looks like the Bible, if he has a, you know, a clergy collar on, if there's a cross anywhere nearby, yeah. you know what? I just, you know, I, I cannot and I could not participate in that. Yeah. You know, gay folks will say that they have desires. Uh, it's not a choice. Uh, how then do we explain bisexuality? Well, first of all, I mean, there's no science that says, well, somebody is just born that way. There's just simply right. no science. And I talk about that in the book, and I give examples from, like, the American Psychological Association, who admits that, mm -hmm. you know, um, who just says no. Science has looked at this, and we just don't know what causes it. Right. And, you know, it's, it's – so when people say, well, this is just the way I am, well, people are, quote-unquote, just the way I am in a lot of different ways. That doesn't mean, you know, that we support it. But, right. again, there's no science whatsoever mm -hmm. that supports that conclusion. People just assume it's true because we hear it so much. Sure. And, and if we were to step back and, and look at what you were just saying in the last bit about there are a lot of things that may be just the way we are, but we don't support them are, even if it were scientifically verified that you were born into a, you know, into being gay or to being whatever— People could also argue, well, I'm born a kleptomaniac, but that doesn't— Or an adulterer. Or an adulterer or a murderer or whatever. You know, it's just the way I am. That may be, but that doesn't mean that society condones nor that, that God condones those certain activities. It's like this is one of the things that through the power of the Spirit, you have the power to overcome and or to live in spite of. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. How do we teach our kids to genuinely treat others honorably when we believe that some of those folks are behaving dishonorably? Well, I mean, it's interesting that that includes everybody, you know, um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically it's how do we treat other people that are, you know, living in disobedience to Christ? And that is, you know what, we can't wink at sin. We can't give sin a pass in our lives or other people's lives. But still, we, we love the individual. We're kind to the individual. Paul right. says, as much as is possible, be at peace with all people. And what I like about that is, you know, I interpret that to mean um, as long, until they give you reason not to, <laughs> be be nice to people. Be at, sure. at peace with people. Be, be gracious to people. And I think that's just a good rule of thumb is like, okay, you know, Trace isn't going to be pushed around, but his deal is he'll give anybody the benefit of the doubt of being, a, you know, a generally nice or kind person. Um, but when they are not, and, you know, he'll, he'll deal with them on that. And yeah. I think that's important for us to teach our kids. You know what? 
try to give everybody the, the benefit of the doubt, be kind, be gracious to everybody. But that doesn't mean that we have to approve of everything about everybody. You know what? I mean, that's just unrealistic. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I just wonder how people would respond to me if I'm just openly identifying myself as uh, being involved in incestuous relationships. It's consenting. It's maybe with my brother or father, uh, so there's no pregnancy involved. Uh, and I just uh, blatantly uh, throw that out there. Why should I expect to be treated any different than someone from the LGBT uh, community? Well, the issue is, you know, it, again, it's how we treat them. You know what? Um, if, if there's an individual like that, you know what? Um, I'm not inclined to, you know, want to be their best buddy, things like that. But, you know, at least you're polite to them in the sense mm-hmm. of, um, just how you interact with them. Yeah. Um, you, you let them know where you stand. You let them know, you know, that um, you don't approve of that, that you think it's wrong, that you think it's concerning. But you try to be civil with them in the sense of, um, you know, just being a decent human being. Yeah. I think it goes back to the word perversion. I, I think everyone's line of demarcation between what is, uh, standard fare sexually and what is perversion is different today because we no longer take our cues by and large from scripture uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a citizenry. And uh, yeah. so with time, that may not be seen as such a bad thing. I know in you know, ancient Egypt and other places, that was kind of like the in thing, an acceptable thing. And uh, I, I think when you, when you use the word perversion, in the equation, I think what raises the hair on the back of people's necks is that what other thing is this guy capable of doing if he's having sex with his father or his brother? And I don't right. think anyone can be held culpable for having that fear. If I told you that's what I really was, I would think you're a little strange if you didn't walk a wide berth around me or didn't want to live near me because because of that perversion any rational thinking person would think what else is this guy capable of doing you know so anyway that's that's my story i'm sticking to <laughs> i i think there's a, a a phrase that's been said time and again over the years and that is that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Know how much you care. Know yeah. how much you care. Right. And it seems to be that if if I were to, to underscore the thing that's come out of these past two programs, it's that we need to first walk in care and compassion mm-hmm. and in grace sure. to extend that to uh, to anyone yeah, that we come this- in contact with. And, and then through developing a relationship where they know that they can trust that you really care about them and sure. love them in that regard— you have the freedom in Christ to also share Christ and mm-hmm. and the truth of Christ. But by the same token, in the process of showing that you care, you also have to show your family that you care and are willing to protect them Absolutely. and have their best interest in mind Absolutely. also. And so there's a tender balance. I'm not saying we've got it all sorted out or that you know we've perfected it. But uh, Glenn, you've brought some great uh, insights in, into the equation. And um, I, I'm really—I haven't read your book, but I'm—I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to getting and, and, and reading it. Thank you so much for being with us. You betcha, and thanks for letting me be with you guys. Well, Absolutely. we appreciate it twice since you were with us last time as well. Our guest on License to Parent, Glenn Stanton from Focus on the Family. He's author of the book Loving My LGBT Neighbor: Being Friends in Grace and Truth. 
You can find that as well as his latest book, The Myth of the Dying Church, How Christianity is Actually Thriving in America and the World, on Amazon and wherever you buy your books. And you'll find us online at LicensedToParent.org. A reminder that Licensed to Parent is the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. That's a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis. Now, you can help the work that we do here continue by supporting the Shepherds Hill Scholarship Fund. Your tax-deductible gift will go directly to helping families who can't afford residential care for their teens get the help they so desperately need. You can give securely online when you visit our website, LicensedToParent.org, and click the Donate button. Again, LicensedToParent.org. Our guest coordinator on License to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to tell a fellow parent about us and then join us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.